Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number three. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at the Pete Callender Show, uh, dot com. Also, the uh, the Twitter handle is at Pete Callender. We get to a couple of uh, massages here from various folks. This is from Stan. He says, the person who paid off Hunter Biden's tax debt probably did so with money. If truth be known, he owes the IRS as well. Only we, the peasants, have to actually pay off our IRS debts out of what we earn and are going to be the targets of 87,000 new agents. Um, and then on the, the Kim Thomas case, which was the first hour of the program today, there's nothing about keeping information concerning this legal matter secret that is to protect the integrity of the case. It's all about protecting the GovCo people in charge and their missteps in this case from becoming public in the same way they're now refusing in general to answer media questions. It seems that once you get a salary and payment at public expense, you become entitled to it, no longer need to respond to them. I'm conservative, and I'm about to the point of saying defund the police. And give us our money back. And everyone just go buy private security you can afford. <laughs> in many instances, they won't respond now. After all, the politicians and the wealthy have their own security uh, at our expense. Um, so Jay asks on the Kim Thomas murder, was Gary McFadden the investigator? That's uh, I don't know. He does have a section in this book uh, where he is referred to as an oddball homicide investigator. Haven't read uh, haven't read that part of the book yet, but I will. But I totally will. By the way, you know what happened today in nineteen oh one. Nineteen oh one. The first message sent from England. Across the Atlantic. That was today, 1901. So 121 years ago. Italian physicist and radio pioneer Guglielmo Marconi succeeds in sending the first radio transmission across the Atlantic Ocean, disproving detractors, the naysayers, who told him that the curvature of the Earth would limit transmission to 200 miles or less. The message simply the Morse code signal for the letter S, traveled more than 2,000 miles from Poldhu in Cornwall, England, to Newfoundland, Canada. Marconi was born in Bologna, Italy. I'm just kidding. It's Bologna, Italia. No, it's Bologna. In 1874, he was born in Italy, had an Italian dad, an Irish mom, and uh, he studied physics. He became interested in the transmission of radio waves after learning of the experiments of a German physicist named Heinrich Hertz. He began his own experiments in Bologna, beginning in 1894, soon succeeded in sending a radio signal over a distance of 1.5 miles. He got very little encouragement, though, in Italy. So he goes to England, much like the Jimmy Buffett song. He formed a wireless telegraph company and soon was sending transmissions from distances farther than 10 miles. Think about that. He had a company that was like state-of-the-art that could send a message 10 miles. And people were like, wow, I don't have to like send a pigeon or whatever, courier pigeon. I don't have to do that. I, I don't have to hire some, what would they call them? Scribe or crier or something, right? 
1899, he succeeded in sending a transmission across the English Channel. That year, he also equipped two U.S. ships to report to New York newspapers on the progress of the America's Cup yacht race. And uh, nobody cared at that point either. That was... Uh, that successful endeavor aroused widespread interest in Marconi and his wireless company, and then his greatest achievement occurred December 12, 1901, transatlantic transmission. And he won a Nobel Prize in physics. He died in 1937, and on the day of his funeral, all BBC stations went silent for two minutes in tribute to his contributions to the development of radio. That was today. Um, oh, tomorrow... We might be looking at some fusion. You, I doubt it. I Look, I am not an expert on this stuff, but uh, at first I thought, ooh, wow, this is really exciting because other people that seemed to know what they were talking about seemed like they were excited about it. So I was kind of excited about it, but now I'm not so sure because I've read the comments section, and there are a lot of people that are just like pooping all over this announcement. So I don't know if it's actually going to mean anything or not. I mean, I kind of think it might mean something. All right, I'll just tell you what it is. U.S. government scientists have made a breakthrough in the pursuit of limitless, zero-carbon power. And they've done it by achieving a net energy gain in a fusion reaction for the first time. This is not to be confused with gain of function. This is net energy gain in fusion. Okay, it's different. Although if China's working on it, I suspect we'll all be dead soon. That's... Just because it'll, no, it'll come from a wet market. Um, So three people with knowledge of the preliminary results from a recent experiment, they told the Financial Times' Tom Wilson that they're getting ready, that they hit this thing, this net energy gain. That's the key thing, net energy gain, or the NEG, the NEG. Physicists have, since the 1950s, sought to harness the fusion reaction, which, by the way, powers the sun, which prompted a lot of people in the comments section to be like, you know, we already have a big fusion reactor, provides free, limitless energy all the time, we just have to harness it. Aha, gotcha, yeah, solar, okay. So the idea is, you know, we harness the same kinds of fusion reactions that are occurring in the sun, but we do it here, and... Uh, no group, though, has been able to produce more energy from the reaction than it consumes. Does that make sense? Right. The amount of energy necessary to make the reaction happen, let's call it 100, right? Whatever unit they're measuring it in, that's 100. That's how much energy it requires. And every time they run the experiments, it costs like 150 energy. Or, or, yeah, or no, it doesn't. Sorry. If it costs 100 to run the experiment, it only generates 50. Right? So they can never generate more power than they're using to do the experiment, which, like, that's not obviously, that's not good. I mean, I don't know anything about the science on it, but it seems like if you're trying to produce energy, it shouldn't cost you more energy to make the energy, right? That just, it seems logical. This is what's called net energy gain. It would help prove the process uh, could provide reliable, abundant alternatives to fossil fuels and conventional nuclear energy. The now, the federal Lawrence Livermore National Lab in California, which I saw somebody else describe, this is basically just a playground for or a sandbox for nuclear engineers, and it's all just like theoretical stuff, and they're running experiments on this stuff, and nothing ever comes of it. 
I don't know that to be true or not. I'm just letting you know. But the, uh, the lab uses a process called inertial confinement fusion. So we all know what that means, so I just won't even define it. Um, it involves bombarding a tiny pellet of hydrogen plasma with the world's biggest laser. And they had achieved net energy gain in a fusion experiment in the past two weeks. So that's the big announcement. And supposedly they're going to be in, there's going to be an announcement on all of this tomorrow by the Department of Energy. They're going to have a ma- they're going to announce a major scientific breakthrough at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab tomorrow. But the, they wouldn't comment any further. The lab confirmed that a successful experiment had recently taken place, but said analysis of the results was ongoing. Um, the exact yield is still being determined. We can't confirm that it's over the threshold at this time. That analysis is in process. So we shall see. Two of the people with knowledge of the re- of the results, though, say that the energy output had been greater than expected, which damaged some of their equipment that they were using to determine how much energy they were making. And they made so much of it that it broke their equipment. So they're like, yeah, we're still trying to figure out like how much it made. But it seems pretty obvious that it was more than what it cost. And that would be the really big deal. Yes, I agree. It would be fantastic if everybody had our own little fusion reactors, you know, everyone had their own fusion reactor at the house. That would be fantastic. And it gets into the mega jewels on this. I don't know. Whatever. Now, last month, Last month, Soviet, uh, it's, or, uh, this is the same guy, Tom Wilson. The promise of producing limitless power by fusing atoms has tantalized scientists for decades. Soviet scientists pioneered, yeah, the Russians did this. They pioneered the development of the first fusion machine known as Tokamak back in the 1950s. The design enabled a plasma of two hydrogen isotopes, deuterium, de- deuterium, de- I think, Yeah, deuterium, I think, was discovered by Jeff Bridges at a bowling alley, as well as tritium, to be held in place by powerful magnets and then heated to extreme temperatures so that atomic nuclei fuse, and then that releases the vast amounts of energy. So there you go. We're going to take those commies research, and we're going to do good things with it. Maybe. Oh, and the private sector is getting involved. So people are very excited about that. Because they'll be like smaller, more nimble private sector players can accelerate the path to commercial use. So very exciting. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. So a lab-grown meat company is coming to North Carolina. Hey, A lab-grown... All right, so Wilson, yeah, they've chosen Wilson for its first U.S. manufacturing facility. Future Meat Technologies, or FMT, which does business as Believer Meats. I, I'm just reading the article. That's their name. They chose that name. Future Meat Technologies. This is like the whole thing with the milk, almond milk, that kind of stuff. It's not milk. That's not milk. I mean, you can call it almond juice, but you can't call it almond milk. 
right? Because milk is a dairy product, no? Milk comes from the cows or the goats, right? I mean, unless you're telling me that you're milking the almonds, which I'm I'm pretty familiar with almond shapes, and I'm not really sure where you're doing that, but don't think, and there was like litigation over this. But future meat technologies, I don't think you should be able to call it meat. It's not meat. It's something else. But maybe not. I don't know. Because they're growing it from cells. Maybe call it future cell meat or meat cell or something. I don't know. Um, but they're not even doing that. They're, they're doing business as believer meats. Believer meats. <laughs> like some sort of, like it's a cult. Like it's a religion or something. They're going to invest $123 million into a new 200,000-square-foot facility at Wilson Corporate Park. They're going to create up to 100 jobs. Believer Meats specializes in cultivated meat, which is genuine animal meat that is produced by cultivating animal cells in a lab and therefore eliminates the need to raise animals on a farm. That according to the Good Food Institute. I'm not sure if this was a critical report, considering their name is the Good Food Institute. I'm, But maybe it's like good as in like we're morally superior to you, good, instead of like good, mmm, that's good. Because if it was, mmm, that's good, good food, then I'm thinking, they, I'm thinking they're not fans of the believer meats, fake meats, cell organism raised meats, animal cells in a lab meats. Oh, here, okay. Well, I guess I should have just read the rest of the sentence. They're a nonprofit think tank whose mission is to promote alternative meat products. Okay, well, all right, so here you go. Is this an alternative meat product? I mean, if you're calling it Believer Meats, the name of your company is Future Meat Technologies. You're using animal cells. Like, I'm thinking a vegan or vegetarian can't eat it because it's coming from the cell, right? It's coming from that animal cell. So is that an alternative to meat products? Jobs in Believer Meats, Wilson Factory, going to average just over $60,000. The company is in line to get a grant, but of course they are, of $500,000 from the One North Carolina Fund, which doles out money to companies. Believer Meats. I don't know why that just sounds funny. Oh, then there was this story. Um, out of Poland, related here to the meeting industry, uh, Police are hunting for a man who dressed up like a Christmas tree and then slashed the tires of 21 vehicles belonging to a meat warehouse in northwest Poland. At first, I thought maybe they called him dressed up like a uh, a Christmas tree, but in fact, it was uh, a ghillie suit. You know, I thought maybe it was one of those suits that the guys wear, the snipers wear when they're hiding in the brush and stuff. But then I looked at the closed caption TV, this, the closed circuit rather uh, TV, from the the security cams, and no, it's the guy's Christmas tree. I mean, it's like, like it's a fake Christmas tree, I think, or maybe it's branches, and he just kind of lashed them onto himself, like tied them all around himself. So he looks like he's got all of these sticks and stuff like sticking out of him. I'm not sure how he made. I'm, I'd be very interested to know how he made this, just for you know future costume party use but um now he's he's clearly he's clearly disguising himself as a tree so we all know what's right we all know why 
Right. He slashed the tires because obviously there was a drag show going up nearby. Obviously. That's what that's about. Couldn't possibly be anything else. I mean, he's dressed like a tree. He's attacking a meat processor. Obviously, it's about a drag show. Okay. Um, what? Oh, can the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's outfit, the Daily Wire, can it turn Nashville into Hollywood for conservatives? No. Okay, so, right, all right. So, first off, no. The answer, usually when uh, when newspapers ask questions like this as a headline, the answer is, like, 99% of the time is no. I think, I mean, they may be able to create some fledgling industry there, but I don't think you're going to take over the whole town because Nashville is pretty blue, pretty blue. Even though it's country music, people think country music, you know, America-loving Republican voting, but uh, not so much. Not in Nashville, Tennessee. So March 22nd, 2021, the uh, Tennessee General Assembly sends a resolution to the governor's desk, and it's, you know, praising the move of the Daily Wire to Tennessee, welcoming them to Tennessee. Daily Wire was started in 2015 as an online hub for, as the New York Times' Joseph Bernstein calls it, an online hub for clicky conservative news and culture warring. It's closely associated with Ben Shapiro, a crusading right-wing political squabbler, and now the site's editor emeritus. But I thought this was interesting because this is an actual attempt to fight back in the culture and to create something, which I think conservatives have to do a lot more of. That's a good question, Stan. I do not know what unbeliever meets would be. Believer meets. Unbeliever meets. I don't know. Unbeliever meets would be real meets versus... The fake meats, which is why you have to believe in them, which is why they're believer meats, maybe? Like, I really know that these aren't meats, but I'm going to believe it's meat because it's not. That's why it's called believer. I don't know. It's a weird name for a fake meat company. I got to tell you, I don't know what the opposite of that would be. Just meat, probably. Yeah, just meat. All righty, so started in 2015, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's outfit. Uh started as the you know the the website and he has his podcast and radio show and all that but it's Ben Shapiro's co-founder and the company's CEO co-CEO writer and filmmaker named Jeremy Boring who is not boring at all actually but he's leading the Daily Wire in an ambitious new direction for years they were headquartered in Los Angeles the dream factory of coastal liberal America then in the fall of 2020 The company moved to Nashville with the goal of expanding to become an all-you-can-eat buffet of conservative entertainment, complete with its own streaming platform and production house. A lot of people on the right, or as uh, uh, the New York Times' Joseph Bernstein reports, many on the right believe that mainstream news and mainstream entertainment serve the same liberal agenda. So note the framing of that, right, as, as dubious. A lot of these people believe this because it's true. (laughs) Yeah. 
In Nashville, the Daily Wire's executives imagined they could perform such a synthesis for the right. There are challenges. Nashville's an entertainment capital, but not for film or TV. The politics of country music are complex, and the city itself votes blue. The Daily Wire's production house is still under construction as the company tries to construct an ad hoc conservative creative class in its new home. Like, I'm very excited about this because I think it's going like, to, it makes sense. Like, if you're going to do battle in the culture wars, you have to create cultural content, culturally relevant content. And the way people uh, consume cultural content is music, TV, movies, right? All of these different ways that people absorb cultural norms and adopt them. And they've all been used to undermine traditional norms for years, my entire life. One simple principle explains almost every aspect of the Daily Wire. Again, this is the New York Times reporting. Culture war as entertainment, a format flexible monofocus on the bitter conflicts that can dominate American public life. I love that. They can dominate. Oh, yeah, these things can dominate. Why can they dominate, Mr. New York Times reporter? What what would make an issue in the cultural wars, the bitter conflicts, you call them? Like what would what would allow such an issue to, quote, dominate American public life? How, how does such an issue get elevated? Certainly it's not the New York Times. No, it's not any of you guys that elevate these cultural issues. Of course not. See, again, the story is never the Democrat scandal. It's the response to the scandal by the Republicans. That's essentially what this story is, right? This is Republicans attempting, or conservatives, attempting to fight back against what I would submit, in some cases, can be pretty scandalous uh, cultural envelope pushing, shall we say, coming from the entertainment world. They then go to Ari Drennan, or Ari Drennan, the LGBTQ program director for Media Matters. Media Matters. How does the New York Times describe Media Matters? Quote, a nonprofit that monitors conservative media. Yeah, well, I guess that is one way to describe them. Media matters. That's one way. I find that description lacking just a just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. Media matters. Right? They they traffic in targeting and takedowns on conservative people and uh, talking heads, pundits, uh, publications. Right? They spread misinformation launch personal attacks, they fund nasty campaigns against people. They're just terrible. But they monitor all these conservative media outlets and then try to get them destroyed. That's what they do. I mean, so I guess it is a nonprofit that monitors conservative media, but they just left out why they do that. They do it to take them down. They do it to destroy them. That's why they monitor them. Right, okay. So that's how they get the tongue bath over there at the Media Matters. But Daily Wire has 5.4 million followers across its official TikTok accounts and those belonging to its stars. That, according to the company. It's got 17 million followers across 
the same Instagram accounts. The company is privately held. They say it had $100 million in revenue last year, and it's on track to take in twice that amount this year. Its streaming service is called Daily Wire Plus. It has more than 1 million paid subscribers, according to data that the company showed to the New York Times. Each uh, customer or subscriber pays $12 to $20 a month, and that's a drop in the bucket compared with Netflix that has $223 million. Or, uh, or is that, oh, no, I'm sorry, those are subscribers. 223 million subscribers, good Lord. Hulu has 47.2 million. However, the amount of money Daily Wire makes off of these uh, 1 million paid subscribers represent about 65% of the company's revenue. That's a pretty good model, right? you got a diversified model, so you're taking revenue in from these different sources. That's good. These uh, conservatives have been met by hosannas from the state's increasingly combative Republican Party. Well, there's a description for you. Right? It's not the Democrats that are increasingly combative. It's the Republicans, right? So uh, the the state's Republican Party and the uh, statewide leaders that have invited Ben Shapiro and Jeremy Boring and the Daily Wire people to the you know the governor's mansions and to state events and stuff and this is much to the annoyance of local Democrats. Quote: The thing many people moving to Nashville don't grasp is that Nashville has for the last sixty years been a center of progressive values, says Holly McCall, a longtime Nashville journalist and. Democratic strategist. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? A longtime Nashville journalist and Democratic strategist. But I repeat myself. <laughs> All right, I'll wrap this up in a minute. I got a new idea for you for a holiday tradition. This is what you need to do. You need to go to Truist Field in Uptown Charlotte for the Light the Nights Festival. It's where the Charlotte Knights play. Get it? Light the Knights. That's it. Light the Knights. That's okay. So it's at Truist Field. And I saw it this weekend. It's amazing. You got to go see it. It's got a light show. It's got the ice skating rink. Uh, it's got a snow tubing hill where I think you can do like some snow tubing. Um, they, they're going to have uh, Santa Claus is going to be there. They got uh, Christmas trees. And live entertainment, holiday treats. I got shopping. It's amazing. Go check it out. Light the Nights Festival and uh, create some new memories for yourself. Oh, uh, there was this other story. I mentioned Marconi. Today's the day, the anniversary of when he got the first radio transmission, Transatlantic. And uh, I got this from Dave, uh, who says, yeah, 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 Marconi was great. But let's not forget the first radio broadcast from our own Outer Banks, based uh, on December 24th, 1902, Reginald Fessenden, who had previously engaged in experiments on the Outer Banks, made the first intentional wireless radio broadcast playing his violin and reading a passage from the Bible. Fessenden came to North Carolina in 1900 under the auspices of the United States Weather Bureau to conduct experiments in wireless telegraphy or telegraphy. Uh, I hate that word on Roanoke Island. His two years' work attracted considerable publicity. While in North Carolina, he transmitted the first varying musical notes. The 1902 transmissions were said to have been very loud and plain and as easy to understand as hearing sounds over an ordinary telephone. 
There you go. So North Carolina's own history uh, in the radio industry. What? All right, back to the uh, New York Times, which I, honestly I am surprised that the folks at the Daily Wire sat for an interview with the New York Times. I am. I, I don't know why anybody would engage uh, like this with a publication that I think is probably looking to do a hit piece on you. So uh, they're now set up in Nashville. I think it's fantastic if they're trying to create some sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, a center that'll pick up like gravitational pull for uh, for conservative cultural content creation, or as I call it, the four C's. I actually don't. I just made that up right now. Anyway, um, Mr. Boring, Jeremy Boring, the co-CEO, he says uh, he gave his staff six weeks to decide whether to leave Los Angeles and come to Nashville. 80% of them said yes, they moved. 80%. Over the next two years, the staff swelled to nearly 250 from just under 100, drawn predominantly from the coasts. They have this quote from a longtime Nashville journalist and Democratic strategist, but I repeat myself, Holly McCall. She says the thing people don't know moving to Nashville, they don't grasp, is that Nashville has, for the last 60 years, been a center of progressive values. The rest of Tennessee has moved right politically, but Nashville remains a stubborn chunk of progressiveness, which went nearly 65% for Joe Biden in 2020. Okay. Cool. Let's see if it stays that way. Right? This idea that, oh, well, Nashville is 65% Biden territory. Okay. Does that mean it always will be? Might not always be. Right? I'm old enough to remember when Florida was a swing state. <laughs> so uh, maybe not so much anymore. The company also signed up a guy named Dallas Sonier. He has been crucial in producing its film and TV products. His production company called Cinestate, I think, uh, gained a national reputation for, you know, real conservative values type of uh, movies, ultra-violent Throwback genre fair, Bone Tomahawk, Brawl in Cell Block 99, and Dragged Across Concrete. You know, movies to watch with the family. And they were widely praised in the mainstream press for their accomplishment. I had never even heard of these movies before this uh, story, by the way. Uh, but now, of course, um, now, of course, he's, you know, he, he's persona non grata because he's working for Daily Wire, but also during the Times. Uh, when, like, for example, his his uh, his big movie, The Brawl in Cell Block 99, the New York Times criticized it because it was uh, uh, they were putting bitterly conservative politics occasionally into the scripts. <gasps> Note the description there. Bitterly. I'm not kidding. This is literally the words. Occasionally bitterly conservative politics. Do you ever hear about progressive politics being bitterly injected into movies? No, of course not. That's just all supporting. It's just all supportive. It's uh, affirmation. The Daily Wire reached an exclusive distribution agreement with Mr. Sonier's new company called Bonfire Legend. They released three movies. Run, Hide, Fight, a school shooting. Shut In, it's a home invasion thriller. And Terror on the Prairie. Featuring Gina Carano, who got fired from her role in Star Wars. Mainstream reviewers have mostly savaged the films. Yeah, that's surprising, right? They say one of the challenges is finding talent. Why? Reputational harm. 
actors are afraid to take the gigs. Yeah, Nashville. I hope you. I hope you're the place to be. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.